So yeah, it has been quite a week this week, and I have had to stand on the promise that God is for me this week. It has been challenged at every level this week. So if you guys would, I just want to pray for a minute. So Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. I thank you, Lord God, for every person in this room that you have a purpose and a plan for every single person in this room, Lord God. And I just pray this morning that this message would bring hope, it would bring encouragement, and it will highlight how much you love us. And I pray that this message will lead us all to love Jesus just a little bit more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I talked to you about um, our identity in Christ. Okay, so here's your test. You may get some help on the screen. I don't know, but this is the test. There were two things we talked about least last week, that we are the, very good, the righteousness. <laughs> she gets an A. <laughs> that I told you, you might get a little help. So that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means that God doesn't change the way he treats us based upon our behavior. We are the righteousness not because of what we did, but because what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did on the cross cannot be undone. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because we accepted him as our Lord and Savior and we cannot become unright. Right. So we can't mess up enough to become unright because it is something that God has granted to us by his grace and by by his love. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've had to stand on that this this week. And secondly, we are loved and accepted. The Bible says that we are accepted in the beloved. And again, not because of what we do. Our, our love, God's love for us does not ebb and flow with our behavior. He doesn't, I can't get God to love me more. But at the same time, he, I can't get him to love me less either. His love for me does not ebb and flow with my behavior. Still I'm still his favorite, yes. <laughs> so I am. <laughs> And he, I put that, he's put that to the test this week, too, so <laughs> that's been put to the test. So, yes, we, God loves each of us. You're each his favorite. I'm just his most favorite. <laughs> I've been trying to convince my husband of this for 34 years, but I don't know how that's gone. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And this has got to be our foundation, especially what we talk about today. This has got to be our foundation. This is what we have to stand on. This is what we have to be unmovable on, okay? We're unmovable on this thought that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am loved and accepted by God. One of my favorite songs is by a, a guy named Travis Green, and it's called Loved and Good. And it's, to me, it's the best theology is. God is good and I am loved. And that's what we stand on. God is good, and I am loved. That is the premise of everything that we do. We have to believe that. That has to become um, not only just head knowledge for us, but heart knowledge. God is good, and we are loved. So this morning, I want to finish our discussion, and God is sovereign, now what? So I want, can, were we able to get the clip to play? Okay, can you play that first clip for us, please? Okay. <laughs> There's sound with it. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to make it hard. Oh, I need to be unmuted. 
Okay, there it is. this. I'm already late. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello? There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now, would somebody please do something? I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's not enough left to do. Sit. Hello? Hey, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. Cool. He says he can fix it. I have a question for you, church, this morning. Are you stuck on the escalator? Are we stuck on the escalator? Are we waiting on God or is God waiting on you? Are we waiting on a move of God or is God waiting for us to move? Are you stuck on the escalator this morning? I don't understand this. God is all powerful but he, and he doesn't need us, but he chooses, he has chosen to work through us. He decided to allow us to rule and to reign. And there's sometimes when God says, it's time for you to get off the escalator. I want to show you an example of this in the Bible. If you would turn with me to Exodus, I, all, of, all of these scriptures says Genesis, it was late at night, and it's Exodus, actually. <laughs> it's Exodus 14. It's Exodus, that, see, that's why I tell you, you got to check me. I told you last week, you have to check me. It's Exodus 14. And you all probably know this story. You probably have heard this story. It's probably one of your favorite stories. It is one of my favorite stories. And it's in, ex it's in Exodus 14, and the children had just, um, the Israelites had just left Egypt after being in bondage for 400 years. And they had left Egypt, and, and they were traveling from an angry king. So God told Moses in verses 1 through 4, he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tell the children of Israel to go so that they are between the sea and land. And I'm going to send the Egyptians, I'm going to harden their hearts, and the Egyptians are going to come after them. Okay? Sound like a plan? I don't know about this, but this is what God told Moses. So Moses like, yeah, okay, this is what's going to happen. So he did that. And so if you read with me in verse 10, it says this, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so that they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So the children of Israel did what they do. They complain. That was, that was their thing, right? So they complain, and they're complaining to Moses. Now Moses had a revelation from God, because God told him to do this, and, and he, would, uh, he would show the Egyptians his glory. So Moses then makes this incredible speech, right? So Moses is about to make this wonderful speech in verse 13. That is absolutely beautiful. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I mean, that is such a faith-filled uh, Pre, uh, sermon. I need that sermon every now and then. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I love to pray that over people. This demon that you see today, you shall see no more forever. This, this sickness that you see today, you shall see no more forever. This lackness that you see today, you shall see no more forever. And it is such a powerful, such an such a, um, awe-inspiring speech until you hear God's response to Moses. What was God's response to Moses? Moses, uh, couldn't go to the next one. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> why are you crying to me? Lord, I'm between an army and a sea. If, there's, if this is the time to pray, this is the time to pray. Some, some translation says, that the Lord said, Moses, do not continue to pray to me. Is basically what the Lord told him. Stop praying to me. That does not sound theologically correct, <laughs> right? That sounds, like, that sounds like something's going on that, that we don't understand. So in other words, God said to Moses, why are you standing on the escalator? Think about what the, the guy on the escalator told the woman. It, it'll be okay. Somebody's going to come help us. That's the same thing Moses told to the children. It, it's going to be okay. Somebody's going, God's going to come rescue us. And he's crying out to God, and God is like, I don't know why you're crying to me. What does that mean? Moses was stuck on the escalator, and I just lost my page. Sorry, give me a minute here. There we go. This is why I like for you to read the Bible yourself, because if I had told you God said that, you'd have called me a heretic. <laughs> so let's listen to what God said to Moses. So why was he so harsh? That was my question. Why, is, why was God so harsh with Moses? This seems like a perfectly good time to pray, right? Well, isn't that what you would do, is pray? But we have to remember what God had told Moses to do previously. Let's go to verse 16, and let's see what God told Moses to do. And then we'll go back and see what he told them to do in the beginning. Uh, let me see, have I lost my place? In verse 16, but lift your rod and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. What? What? God, did t God told Moses to lift his hand and divide the sea. He didn't tell Moses, I will divide the sea through you. He told Moses, lift your hands and divide the sea. You do it. 
tag, you're it. And I wonder if God is not saying that to us today. We're standing on the escalator. We're saying, Lord, we don't know what to do. And the Lord is saying to us, why are you crying to me? Do the last thing I told you to do. Let's go back to Exodus 7, when, when God first called commission Moses. Let's see what he told him in Exodus 7, I think verse 14. No, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Um, Exodus 4, 17. Exodus 4, verse 17. And he told Moses, and so this is when Moses was arguing with him about, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not a good speaker, and this is what God told Moses. And you shall take this rod in your hand, which with, with which you shall do the signs. Who's going to do the signs? You, Moses. Moses was supposed to do the signs. But this goes against our paradigm. This goes all against our paradigm because, you know, if I tell you to go out and heal the sick, you will tell me you don't have the ability to heal the sick. Even though Jesus said to you, go heal the sick. Read the word. That's what it says. If I tell you you have the, the, the power to fix what's wrong with America, you're going to tell me I am not in, in Congress. I am not in Washington. Even though Jesus said we were the solution to the world. Are we stuck on an escalator? Are we waiting for God to do what God has called us to do? I don't understand this. I don't understand why God, who is all-powerful, decides to work through us. I don't understand it. And I think this is a, a different paradigm. I think God wants to use to, uh, I think God wants us to rethink how we minister. Because we have to understand the power and the authority within us. Now, now don't get me wrong. Please, please hear me. We can do nothing without God. I completely, totally acknowledge that. I, this is not saying that we can go off and do things on our own. What I'm saying is this. God has chosen to partner with us. He has chosen to work with us. And he can't work with us if we won't move. He can't work with us if we're standing on the escalator waiting for the seed to open when, he's called, when we're not doing what he has called us to do. I think the American church is stuck on the escalator. And I'm, I'm here this morning to say, let's get off the escalator. See, the thing is, we have power within us, and we don't understand it. So because we don't understand it, we freely give it away. We partner. Okay, I'm going to get in your business a little bit this morning, okay? We partner sometimes. We, uh, we give our power and our authority that we've been given to the enemy. And God doesn't take away our power because uh, the, the, what do they say, the gifts of God are irrevocable, right? I believe if you listen to any singer out there, um, you know, some of the worst rappers or whatever, those gifts were given to them by God. They are just choosing to use those gifts in the wrong genre. And you're saying, well, we're church people. We don't do this. Yes, we do. Because we take our gifts and we partner with, with accusation. That's the love language of the enemy. We take our, our authority and we, we, we partner with uh, a disunity. I do love you guys. 
I know this is a hard word. And God is saying to us, understand who you are. Understand the calling on your life. Understand the power that you carry and be good stewards of that power. Be good stewards of that authority because I have given it to you to rule and reign over this earth, not over people, but over the kingdom of darkness. We have to understand the power that was given for us. Let me ask you to think about this for a moment. What would have happened if Moses didn't raise his hand? What would have happened? I don't know. I don't know if God's sovereignty, there would have been someone else who would have raised his hand. I don't know in God's sovereignty, he knew Moses would eventually raise his hand. But what if Moses had? Would all of those people have been lost because Moses refused to get off the escalator? And I just want you to carry that with you. What, what am I called to do? What is not happening because I refuse to get off the escalator? Because I refuse to recognize who I am and what God has called me to do. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> and here's the question. Why does an all-powerful God choose to work this way? Why doesn't he just fix the escalator? Why doesn't he send angels to pick me up and take me to the next level? That's what I want to see. Why does God choose to do it this way? And here's my very biblical, very theological answer. You ready? You ready? Write this down because this is important. Write it down. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't need to know because God is God and I am not. And I do not want to serve a God that is only as smart as I am. <laughs> so God, we have got to realize that God is greater. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we do not want to serve a God where we understand everything completely because that means that God is only as smart as you are. And I teach your children, you do not want that. But I do have some, some thoughts as to why I think God chose to do it this way this time. Remember, these people had come out of slavery. They had been used to everybody telling them what to do, when to do, how to do it. They could not think for themselves. They needed to see God work with them. They needed to see that cooperation. They needed to see that if Moses could raise his hand in the sea part, then maybe I can do the same thing. And that story is speaking to us today, right? So thousands of years later, we're still learning from this story. If I raise my hand in obedience to God, things will happen. I need to know that. You need to know that. Maybe it was that God wanted to show the, peop the Egyptians his power. God wanted, remember, f uh, was it 40 years later when they finally went into the promised land and they met up with Rahab, they were still talking about that story. The city of Rahab was in awe of the people of, 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 of Israel because what they had done at the Red Sea. God wanted people to be in awe of his, of his people. Are people in awe of Christians today? God wants to demonstrate his power through us. He wants us to be a walking testimony of his goodness and his love. He wants us to demonstrate his power to a lost and dying world. He wants us to get off the escalator.
What has God called us to do? Let's look at some New Testament for that. Let's go to Matthew 28, 18. You're very familiar. I'm, I know everybody in this room has heard this scripture before, but let's just recall it. Matthew 28, 18. It's the Great Commission. That's what we call it. All authority, who Jesus is saying, all authority has given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And some of you may be sitting in there. I can't go to Mexico. I can't go to Egypt or to the Middle East. I don't feel like God has called me to go there. I understand. I'm with you. But can you go next door? Can you go to the park next Saturday? That's, that just came out. That's, <laughs> that, that's not in my notes. That just came out. <laughs> can you seriously, can you go to your neighbor? Can you go to your Muslim neighbor? Can you go to your homosexual neighbor? Can you go to your African-American neighbor? Can you go to your Middle Eastern neighbor? Can you go? Let's go to Mark 16, 15 through 18. One of my, again, I say that a lot. 16, 15 through 18. And he said to them, once again, go to all the world. You can't go to all the world, go next door. And preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. These signs shall follow you and me. In my name, they will cast out demons. And I'm telling you, I need this as a school teacher. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants, serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And when I said that, I was not being funny. This, this week, I'm, I'm doing my duty, and this child comes through the halls, and he is manifesting all kind of demons. He's cursing. He's he's threatening to kill people. And it's not even a child that I teach. But I had to take my authority and calm him down. I had to use my authority as, as now, now I did not go to the child. And say, you know, Demons come out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'd get fired. But I did pray for him in the spirit under my breath. I did go out and I talked to him and tried to calm him down and tried to get, and I eventually got him calmed down enough so that the teacher who was supposed to deal with this, that's not my job, the teacher who was supposed to deal with this could talk to him and move him to a place where he needed to be. I had to use my authority as a Christian. I had to use what Jesus said, that I will cast out demons. I had to declare things over him. Under my breath, I'm declaring, Lord, this child has some serious, serious demons in him. At least calm them down so we can get him in a safe place and the children around him safe. That's our reality, people. That's, that's who we are. And it may not be at a public school. It may be at your work or at your job or something. But when I watch the Internet, there are a lot of demons out there. <laughs> Am I the only person saying that? And we need to use the authority God has given us to bring peace because the Bible says every place I step my feet is mine to have. Third floor, Panther Creek, 3,500 Hall. That is mine to have. John 13, 34 through 35. What has God called us to do? It's very simple. John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, 
that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also have loved one another. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What was the last thing Jesus told us to do? These are some of the things that Jesus has called all of us to do. And we need to realize that he is working through us, with us. He's partnering with us to bring peace to our areas of influence, to bring peace into our communities, to bring peace into our school system, to bring peace to the governments of the world. This is what God has called us to do. And we need to stop relinquishing our authority to to teachers who aren't saved, to stop relinquishing our authorities to, to um, government officials who are not saved, and we need to take back our country, not in a violent way. Don't get me. I'm not being radical or anything like that. I am saying by prayer, by walking in the authority that we're given, by being light in the darkness. We have called to, to push back the darkness. And again, not through violence, because we do not wrestle through flesh and blood. And don't listen to anyone to tell you that that we are supposed to be violent. It is not violence. It is about standing before my God and doing what my God has called me to do. It's time we take, walk, get off the escalator and begin to do what God has called us to do. Why are we stuck on the escalator? Why? Why did he stand, this woman and this man, stand on the escalator and not get off? I think part of it, I'm going to tell you four reasons I think we are getting stuck on the escalator. And when I say we, I mean me. Because this week, I've had to deal with my own stuckness. I've had to deal with not wanting to get out of bed. I had to, I had to deal with my own just wanting to give up and say, just forget it all. So why do we get stuck on the escalator? First and foremost, it's because we have a flawed uh, theology on God's sovereignty. We think when God tells us to do something, all we have to do is just stand there and it's going to get done. (laughs) But we got to move when God says move. We got to walk in obedience to what God tells us to do. Let me give you a story for this. Let me ask you a question. Who can tell me who Tara was? See, I I like to give these little pop quizzes. (laughs) Don't you want to be one of my students? (laughs) Who was Tara? He was Abraham's father. How many of us know that? Okay. So, but most of us, if I ask you who was Abraham, hopefully, can everybody raise their hand and tell me who Abraham was? Okay. What was the difference between Tara and Abraham? They both were called to go to the promised land. Terah got to Canaan, and the Bible says he settled there. He didn't walk out what God called him to do. He got to a place, and who knows why he settled there. It could have been he, got, he ran up against uh, some type of um, something stopped him. He, he, he came up against, my, my brain is not working, um, some type of opposition. That's the word I was looking for. He may have come up against some opposition. So God has called us to do things and we start walking in it and there's opposition. And so we reason there's opposition. This must not be God's will. I'm standing by the sea. There's opposition. The, the, the Egyptians are coming after me. This must not be God's will. Come on now, let's, let's come up with a different plan. But opposition does not mean the absence of God. God. 
Opposition is just that we live in a fallen world. Opposition is that we have a very real enemy who's trying to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. There is going to be opposition. Don't stand on the escalator because you ran into opposition. Don't stand on the elevator because it's comfortable. Because it's familiar. When God tells you to move, move. And you're standing there asking God to move you out of Canaan. And God's saying, put one foot in front of the other and let's begin to move. God is sovereign. But we have to make sure that we're doing what God has called us to do. Move forward. Let me tell you, the worst thing that can happen to you, to me, is to die on the escalator. Go to the next slide. This is one of my favorite uh, quotes by Miles Monroe. And he says this, the wealthiest place in the world is not the gold mines of South America or the fields of Iraq and Iran. They are not the diamond mines of South Africa or the banks of the world. The wealthiest place on the planet is just down the road. It is the cemetery. There lie buried companies that were never started, inventions that were never made, best-selling books that were never written, and masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery is buried the greatest treasure of untapped potential. In the cemetery are people who died on the escalator, waiting for God to move when God has saying, I have given you everything you need to move. Let's move. Let's go. Don't have a false sense of God's sovereignty. Don't let a false sense of God's sovereignty keep you on the escalator. God has called you to move. Do not allow opposition. Don't allow anything to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Because only you can do that. My second one. Can you go to the next one? Now this one. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have to be completely um, transparent here. I'm struggling with the American church today. Okay, so I'm just struggling. I'm just going to tell you, this is my struggle. I'll get over it, but I'm struggling with the American church today. Okay, but I do believe one of the things that keep us stuck on the escalator is the model of the American church because the American church has professionalized ministry. And so we look at Leah and we look at Pastor Joshua and we're like, hey, I don't have to do anything. I can go home and rest because they're going to pray for the sick. <laughs> they're going to cast out demons. I'm going to bring my friends to church and they're going to get them saved. Amen. That's why we pay them the big bucks, right? LAUGHTER <laughs> But the American church, we really have professionalized ministry. We, people are waiting for permission and titles before we can move. And let me just tell you a secret. You do not need a title to love people. I am, the pa I, I am the pastor of the 3500 Hall of Panther Creek High School. <laughs> that is not a thing, but that's who I am. You know how I know that is? Because when people are hurt, you know where they come? They come to me. I don't need a title to be who God's called me. I don't need a title of pastor. I pastor because it's who God has called me to be. You don't need a title. You don't need a ministry. 
we can debate. So let me ask you this question. Who knows who Ananias was? Who was Ananias in the Bible? Okay. So Ananias was the person when Paul was blind, he went to Ananias, Ananias prayed for him, he commissioned him to do what Paul did. What was Ananias' title? Scared. What? <laughs> what did you say? Scared. scared. <laughs> he was scared. <laughs> what was his title? No. Was he a pastor? Nope. He was a disciple. You know what you are? A disciple. You are a disciple. You don't need a title. You don't need a position in the church to do what God has called you to do. So a lot of us are stuck on the escalator because we're waiting for permission. <laughs> and God has said, I have given you permission. I have given you authority. When you said yes to Jesus, I gave you the authority. I gave you all the permission you need to do what I've called you to do. You don't need a title. You don't need to be pastor so-and-so to do what you're called to do. See, we can debate all day long. We can, we can have a debate on whether or not women should be in ministry. We can have a debate. I have my scriptures ready. You can have your scriptures ready. We can have a debate all day long. Or... <laughs> or me and Lee and my friend Norma can go to a apartment complex get a woman saved and filled in the baptism of the Holy Spirit we can argue or we can do that what do you want to do Leah <laughs> that was a good day we didn't need permission we didn't need permission we didn't need titles all we needed nobody cared whether or not we were pastors all we needed was the Holy Spirit and that was flowing in abundance. We can, we can debate all night and day whether or not God has been taken out of public schools. We can debate, debate that all day and all night. Or I could just go to school, see one of my teachers hurt, and go in our office, lead her to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I could do that. I choose the latter. I don't need permission to be who God has called me to be. You don't need permission. We don't have to argue and debate. And let me just tell you something. I'm still being sanctified, but if somebody says to me once again that they have taken the Lord out of public schools, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> because what you're doing is you're denying the God within me. You're saying to me that when I go into, the, into work, I have to check God in the parking lot. God will not be checked. So when I go into public school, God goes into public schools with me. Stop saying that. Stop declaring that. Because it's a lie, and it weakens the power of God. But not only that, it weakens teachers. Because people who don't know who they are feel like they can't minister. I minister more as a school teacher than I do as a pastor of the gospel. I just do. And I got tenure, so they can't fire me, so. <laughs> you know, I'm so, we talked about this, but I'm really, truly, truly excited about this afternoon and, and um, recognizing Leah. And I just want you to know that what we're doing tonight is not giving Leah permission. We're just recognizing what she's already been doing. We're just recognizing the gift that's on her life. And, when, and maybe, I don't know, tomorrow she'll wake up and there's like this whoo around her. Let us know, Josh, <laughs> if that happens. 
It might be because she's waking up so early. There may be a different kind of ooh around her. But she's already been doing it. You can already do it. Generally, what you do the work, the title will follow. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. You do what God has called you to do and stop waiting for a title. Stop waiting. The American church tells you you have to have a title. And I am telling you, for Leah and Josh, you can go do it. <laughs> what did, what did um, John Wimber say? Everyone wants to be a part of something where they can realize their full potential. God has given us a vision to see the Holy Christ, the body of Christ move from being an inactive audience to a spirit-filled army. It isn't about one man show. This is about the equipment of the saints for the work of the kingdom. That's John Wimber. Last week I quoted John Hafer, so had to come back with John Wimber this week, right? That was the vision, the vision of the person who started the Vineyard Churches. And I bet if we asked Leah and Josh, they would say this is, that is the vision for who they want us to be as a church. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to participate. <laughs> they want everybody to play. Next Saturday. The third reason I think we stuck on the escalator is because of fear of discomfort. Some people would say fear of failure. I don't even think it's a fear of failure. I think we just don't want to be uncomfortable. Even though the Bible has promised us a comforter, and in order for the comfort to, to comfort, we got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit does his work. <laughs> what if I step out in faith and I pray for someone and they're not healed? What if I step out in faith and I, I, I start a ministry and nobody comes, nobody shows up? What if nobody shows up next Saturday? And believe me, that's been in my heart that all week. That's the fear of my heart all week. What if I step out and get hurt? What if I step out and I'm rejected? And I would love to tell you that when you, when you hear the voice of God and you step out, it's going to work 100% of the time and, and, and the, 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 all, all lights will be green for you and, and everybody will come to you. That does not happen. That's why, what did John Wimber say? Faith is spelled what? R-I-S-K. Because we have to step out. You're going to be hurt. I'm sorry to tell you. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be disappointed. Okay. You're going to do things, and, and it's not going to work out. And it's okay. Why? Because we, what are we going to do from it? We're going to learn, we're going to grow, and we're going to try again. That's one of the things that is really hurting education today is that we're raising these children who don't want to make mistakes. We're raising these children because we're running around them like um, helicopter parents, just don't let them fall, don't let them fall, don't let them fall. And that's what we want in the body of Christ. We want guarantees. Well, life is not a guarantee. I tell my students sometimes, they don't like this. Life is unfair and then you die. <laughs> Synopsis of life. <laughs> they don't like that, but it is true. It is true for us. Life is not fair. You're going to fall sometimes. You're going to be unsuccessful sometimes. What do we do with that? What did Peter do with that? You remember when Peter had the obnoxious idea that he could walk on water. You remember Peter had that idea? And Peter get out and everybody, all, his, all the other disciples are like, 
What is he doing? Who does he think he is? Think he can walk on water? And Peter gets out there and he's all big and bad. And he's walking on the water. He's doing the thing. And then he looks up and he sees the storm. And he begins to sink. And then all the disciples start laughing at him. Let me ask you a question. How did Peter get back in the boat? Jesus helped him up. And how did they get back in that boat? They walked together. They walked together. So you fall. You, you step out in faith and you make a mistake and you fall. What's the worst that's going to happen? Jesus is going to hold out his hand. He's going to pick you up and together you're going to walk back to a safe place. That sounds like a win-win to me. Because either I'm going to walk in that water or Jesus and I are going to do it together. But I'm going to get out of that boat. That's the important thing. Are you going to get out of that boat? Or are you going to get off the escalator? You have to take a risk. This is what T.D. Jake says. We have to face the giants in our life. We have to slay them and move on. Do not be daunted by the mistakes and failures in your life. We grow from, if we never made a mistake, we would never grow. And that is one of the hardest things for me to get my students to understand. They want, I, I tell them, put a problem on the board. Is it correct? I don't know. Just put it up there and we'll figure it out together. This is a safe space. It's a safe space. Anywhere you are with Jesus is a safe space. So we're going to have that safe space. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to try things that don't work. We're going to pray for people and they're not going to get saved. I mean, get healed. And then we're going to pray again. All right? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Finally, this is my favorite one. The reason we stay locked, we stay uh, on the escalator, we stay stuck on the escalator is because we don't know who we are. That is so important. That's why I go back to identity is so important. We have to know that we're the righteousness of God. We have to know that we're loved and accepted. But we also have to know this, that we are more than conquerors. Romans 8.37, we are blessed. You know, the Bible says you are blessed with every spiritual gift. You have already been blessed for it with every spirit. You don't need to pray for wisdom. You have wisdom. We just pray, Lord, give us greater revelation of that wisdom. Show us what to do in this situation. You have, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's in the Bible. Look it up. You are strong, Ephesians 16. Hey, you are seated with him in heavenly places. One of my husband's and our favorite place to go is Lake Lure. And, when we, and we go to this place called kill devil hill i think that's the name of kill devil hill. and you can go up to this mountain and there's this rock that looks like the devil that's why it's called kill devil hill but you are seated ab- above that rock we are seated above the enemy the enemy is under our feet we sit from a vantage point of a winner so when we pray we don't pray begging we don't pray like orphans we don't pray like servants we pray like children of the most high we are seated with him. The Bible says that we have been raised together. And that word raised together, I want you to get this picture here, can also mean conjoined. When you think of the word conjoined, what do you think of? Conjoined twins. You are conjoined with Jesus. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes. When you pray for people, Jesus is right there. He is conjoined with you. 
That's who you are. And we have authority. We already read that. Matthew 18, 7. But not only do we need to realize who we are, we need to realize the battle that we're fighting. And we are fighting a defeated, disarmed, made a spectacle of enemy. So when he tries to remind you of what you did in the past, you can remind him of what Jesus did to him on the cross. You can laugh and point at him because he is defeated. And the only, I, I keep saying this, I want you to get this. The only power he has is the power we give him as Christians. When we partner with him, we give him our power. Stop partnering with him. Stop partnering with him. We have the advantage. We are not called to be on the defensive. We are called to be on the offensive. We are making the scores. We are pushing back the darkness. That's who we are. You know, when the Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail, get a picture of that, that this is not, it's not the church cowering, right, and the darkness prevailing. That's not the picture of it. The picture is we're prevailing over the darkness. We're taking authority. We're pushing the darkness back because we're on the offensive. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. I want to share this story with you. My daughter got married about five years ago, and I told you last week, I like to save money, okay? So the caterer said to us, if you pay in cash, you'll get a discount, like 10% discount. I was like, sure. But the problem was the caterer was in uh, Wake Forest, and I didn't want to take all of that money out of the bank and drive from Holly Springs to Wake Forest because, you know, you know car there's a carjacking problem in Holly Springs. You should not know that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but we were making some other stops along the way, so I didn't want to have all that money with me. So I decided to go to a bank that I had never been to. I banked with State Employees Credit Union. And so I went to the bank in Wake Forest. And so I was prepared. I was prepared. You know, like I'm gonna, I have my ID. You want my DNA. You want my fingerprints. I'm prepared to show you that I am the owner of this account. And so the, the tailor said, well, just slash, you know, swipe your card. And then once I swiped my card, he just started preparing the money to give to me. And now I'm like, wait a minute. Can anybody with my card just come in there and, and swipe it and, and get my money? And he's like, no, ma'am. What happens is when you swipe your card, I see your face. Now, you know, they say to the prophetic, all things are prophetic. Well, to a teacher, everything's a, a teaching moment. And so I got this picture in my head. Okay, this is the picture I want you to get in your head. Can you go to the next slide, please? This is the picture I want you to get in your head is that as we begin to pray, our face shows up in hell. <laughs> and, and, and the devil says, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's Melissa. She looks all nice and sweet, but she's a gangster for the Lord. And we are putting him on notice that I am praying and that, that I know who I am in Christ. I know what God has done for me, and I am about to kick his butt. I want that for each of you. I want when you pray, I want your face to show up in hell, and I want the devil to say, wait a minute, that's those people from Holly Springs Vineyard. Let's not mess with them. Let's retreat because they know who they are in Christ. They know who they are in Christ. They know what God has called them to do. They are off the escalator, and they are advancing the kingdom of God. That's what I want for you. You are a gangster in the kingdom of God. 
That's who you are. And I want you to act like it. I want you to own it. I want you to walk as if you know this is who you are. So when you see that child manifesting in your classroom or in the hall or in the grocery store, I want you to be able to pray for them, knowing that you have authority to evict the demons that are within them. I want you, when you see someone sick, I want you to know that you have authority to pray for them and advance the kingdom of God. That's who we are as the body of Christ. We are gangsters for the body of Christ. I'm going to leave you with this one last clip. This is perfect theology. Can, can we play the last clip? This is perfect theology. <laughs> You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. Puny god. You are all the Hulk. You have all been commissioned to be the Hulk. You are all the Hulk, and you can go out, and you can see when the enemy is threatening you, you can just look at him and go, puny God. I know who I am. I know the God that I serve, and the God that I serve is far more greater than you. He's already kicked your butt once. Don't make me do it again. That's who we are. Amen? Amen. That's it. That's all I got. That's the best theology ever. You are Hulks. That's who you're commissioned to be. And I just want to pray with you this morning. Can I pray with you? Lord, thank you for your power in our lives. And Lord, I ask that there, if there's any place in my life where I am stuck on the escalator, I ask you to reveal it right now. Reveal it right now. Show me areas where you have called me to move and I have, I have relegated those, that authority to someone else, where I've abdicated what you've commanded me to do. Lord, show me any areas in my life. I submit them to you. And this, this day, this day, I'm getting off the escalator. This day, Father, I am, I am recognizing who I am in you. I am recognizing what you have done for me. And I will advance the kingdom of God today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm getting off the escalator. Amen. Amen.